0: Welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast, your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in
1: gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix,
0: look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts... Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Very happy to have you with us once again. And with me, as always, we've got the DG crew. I would like to lead off with... The man they call the PC Gamer, the King of Night City. He'll pre-order any game, finished or not, but make sure he gets an hour of entertainment per dollar spent. It's Fergus Fergimon (laughs) Hamilton.
2: What an intro, JB. I didn't see that coming, but yes, that's (laughs) 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 right. Pre-ordering games and being severely let down. And, um, yeah, one of the things I'm interested to discuss with everyone, the DG crew today, is something we touched on last week, which is the status of developers and publishers releasing games that are broken and unfinished at launch. So I'm looking forward to round-tabling that one and see what we all think.
0: Absolutely. And uh, so our next, uh, next host uh, hailing all the way from Cerulean City. He knows that Ratatar has the lowest base HP among all the normal-type Pokemon, and he's got to catch them all anyway. It's Simon Steely McLaughlin. How are you, Simon?
1: I'm great. And you know what? When I'm not keeping my Pokemon in Pokeballs, I'm keeping them in cages. (laughs) I have a couple of free-range Pidgeotos, but they never fly back. Well, That's unfortunate. We're we're going to get uh, letters. On that Pokemon topic... uh, I'm thinking today we're going to be touching base on a bit of that Pokemon news that's come out recently. Um, Big things happening for the Pokemon company. Are they taking a step in the right direction and a step back? I mean, we'll talk about it in a minute. Sounds
0: absolutely amazing. And for our final host, she knows every brick, leaf and jar in Hyrule Castle. Her happy place (laughs) is dancing along to Saria's song with Darunia in the heart of Goron City. Just don't ask her what Elden Ring is. It's Casey C-Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Casey. Hello.
3: Hi, everyone. I was just about to say something about Elden Ring, my favourite game, but I still haven't played it and nor will I ever.
0: Fantastic.
3: Um Yes, so today I will be talking about um, Kirby in the Forgotten Land, which is uh, the new instalment of the Kirby franchise coming out on Switch soon, um, and we just played the demo the other day, and good things, good things. Yeah, well, I'm I look forward, to, uh,
0: <laughs> look forward to hearing a bit more about that. I really enjoyed um, Star Allies, Was that, that was the name of the first one, wasn't it, uh, when that came out? The one where you can On the sort switch, of yeah. Yeah. yeah, the one that you could sort of turn into a train and all, all sorts of uh weird and wonderful things so um, mm.
1: Mm.
0: yeah, well, perhaps uh Simon, do you want to lead off um having your discussion about Pokemon
1: yeah, well, have you heard about this do you know about this have you heard about this you heard about this so um <laughs> look there was some big pokemon news that happened um i think it was last week now um but it's still it's still a trending topic people are still talking about it and that's natural um so a new pokemon uh duet of games was announced uh, in scarlet and violet um and look from the outset these games look stunning um we've got a bit of a half step this year in uh, pokemon legends arceus um we've been playing that recently and i mean it's a lot of fun it's probably the most fun i've had with a pokemon game since i mean probably x and y on the 3ds it's a really cool game um it's going into that sort of realm that you would expect pokemon to go into where um you can kind of do what you've always wanted to do as a kid and just run around and catch Pokemon, not always have to battle to catch. And so I've really been enjoying that factor of the game and having a, a wide open space to to run around in. Only thing is with Pokemon Legends Arceus is that it kind of feels a little bit like, it feels a little bit like uh, we're playing a prototype because it's yeah. very messy. It's, it's definitely um, kind of rough around the edges, graphics aren't great and graphics aren't everything but it is really really messy um but still having said that i enjoy it i think it's a really cool game it's a good step in the right direction and then when we got this announcement for pokemon scarlet and violet um Hmm. i was really excited i saw this announcement and i thought this world looks vibrant um people aren't just standing still everywhere like they are in pokemon legends arceus which just grinds my gears and i know it grinds G- casey's gears a lot as well um, but th- it's vibrant it looks really alive um, the world i think is inspired by spain so it's got a really cool aesthetic to it but then some alarm bells started ringing when uh later on in the week once people had sort of died down from the initial hype we saw something pop up on the Pokemon uh, official website or it was on the Twitter. I can't remember, but it basically said that, you know, this new adventure was going to be in an open world um, with the thing that makes the Pokemon franchise so excellent. And that's battling to catch. And I was just kind of like, so why have we taken two big steps forward in making an open world Pokemon game and now you're going to make us battle to catch pokemon so now i'm one step away from that fantasy of you know catching pokemon like i would if i was watching the anime and seeing ash run around in kanto and catching pokemon and stuff like that i just I, in my mind i'm just kind of put so off by wh- that
3: what are you trying to say that what what, what i don't understand so
1: <laughs> so if if you think of the anime right Ash can catch a Pokemon without necessarily having to battle it. And in Pokemon Legends Arceus, you can do that as for, well.
3: For weak Pokemon, yeah. Yeah,
1: but, I mean, even some of the stronger Pokemon, if you distract them and they're eating some food and they're happy, they're like, "Pokéball!" Eh. Pokeball.
3: I, I think battling to catch is the whole thing about Pokemon.
1: Yeah, that's funny. So I think- in my mind, I think it's cool. I like the way that they've sort of turned around and allowed you that you know, freedom to be able to try and catch Pokemon the way you want to. Oh,
3: you're wrong though, so... (laughs) (laughs) I must
0: must confess, like, uh, straight off the bat, it's been a while since I've played um, any of the Pokemon titles. Like, I I did play the originals when they came out on Game Boy back in the mid-90s or (laughs) late-90s or whatever it was, but um, do they they still have um, Pokeballs that have different levels of of power Mm -hmm. to to capture you know so if you if you get like i don't know was it the master ball you know like and you you can just throw that and just it'll catch anything um yeah and and stuff like that
1: so it's the same sort of format yeah so the format is very much the same i mean even with a lot of the mainline pokemon games that have been coming out the format is very much identical to what it's always been but what's
3: so good about the i think the newer like arceus and I'm assuming Violet and Scarlet is when you're battling them. It doesn't just take you to another screen where you just it, you kind of are in the world still, so you can still move your character around the Pokemon while they're battling each other and yeah. you can choose. So I think yeah, I, I don't know what you're saying. I think it's good that you have to battle to catch because that's the whole point. You you weaken them in order to catch them. That's, I know. I that just I think Pokemon. that
1: that's still a bit of an uh, like. I think it's a bit of a older trope of the series. I feel like that um, with this game, like with Arceus, I love the fact that I don't necessarily have to run into a battle to catch a Pokemon. It's more about, you know, collecting just, you're, you're for the Pokedex. Just
3: running through le- um, grass, you don't just automatically... Yeah. into a random battle you actually have to go and interact with the
1: it feels a lot more alive and i think that it makes it feel a lot more fluid i don't feel like i have to stop and get into a battle to catch pokemon yeah. i can be like hey i see this thing over there let's have a go um but yeah the, the main the mainline formula of pokemon has been the same for a really long time and i think this is a great step in the right direction because it's going to really revitalize the series in a way that sword and shield failed to do um so i think that's It's a good step, but I'm always so weary of Game Freak and the Pokemon company taking these sort of half steps because, hey, people are going to buy it. It's Pokemon. And so um, it's kind of frustrating for me in a way because I'm excited for it, but I'm very tentatively excited. I'm keeping this cautious optimism about the game because I just have this feeling that it's going to disappoint me (laughs) and I don't know why I feel that way but I just have this knowledge in my head that it's not going to be as good as I hope um but yeah
0: so several several years ago there was a, a pretty big hype around uh the Pokemon Go mobile game where people could obviously travel to different gyms and to different uh points of interest in the real world to go and catch you know Pokemon and Obviously, that was, mm-hmm. that was a really big deal at the time and, and all of that. Do you feel as though the enthusiasm around Pokemon in general is still still there out in the public?
1: Oh, I mean, I think in Australia, it's, it's not going to ever get as big as it could um, in places internationally. I mean, you just think of um, when we went to Japan and we were playing Pokemon Go a little bit in Japan and there will be, mm. you know, this one image sticks in my mind of... This guy that would have been, I think, in his, maybe his 60s, he had his push bike and he had about eight phones <laughs> all lined up on his push bike as if it was like a screen, a computer screen, and he's doing a raid battle um, <laughs> all at the same time with with eight different phones and he's tapping each of them. And That's right. That was, to me, that was just like... What's
3: funny is that, you know, Pokemon got... That was when the whole hype all died down and we went to Japan thinking, oh, the hype's gone. It's not over there. And it's years later and they yeah. were still, like, businessmen in their like, yeah. lunch breaks were out <laughs> smoking, <laughs> poker, yeah. doing raids and little, yeah, it was, um yeah, crazy.
1: It's fascinating because I think that as much as it's died down for us in Australia, it's still one of the highest grossing um and most profitable things for the Pokemon company i mean that that game makes so pokemon much money is... every year no pokemon go is oh, pokemon go. it's um it's still really huge worldwide and i think just i think in australia in general the the sort of the gaming culture is still developing and so it's not at that point where a craze goes and goes and goes and everyone gets involved um i think people got involved because it was something new and it got us out walking and enjoying the outside world a lot more with you know something that was a bit different but it's still out there it's still really big um yeah
0: Hmm. thoughts ferg
2: um yeah, I'll be interested to see wait on Simon and Casey's verdict when it comes out at the end of the year. I'm a bit like yourself, Joe. I was an OG Pokemon player back in the day, and I think I, the first game might have been Pokemon Blue. On wouldn't it wouldn't have even been Game Boy Color? I don't think. But I've played most no, of yeah most of the games in the main series. I actually had Sword and Shield. I've got it on Switch, um, and I didn't oh, mi- wow. I, I didn't mind it, but I didn't finish it either. I mean, um, I'll, I'll
0: take I'll take you back a little way. I remember my younger sister, Chelsea. Hi, if you're listening. Uh, she had a, a bright red Game Boy. It predates Game Boy Color, but it was it was bright red. She got um, the original Pokemon game for that, uh, which was a yellow cartridge and had Pikachu on it. And yeah. I remember at the time they were running an event at Harvey Norman where you could take your Game Boy down there with a link cable and plug into a machine that they had down there and they would download Mewtwo into your game for free and it was all tied in with the promotion of the Pokemon movie which had, you know, just come out at the time. I
2: went and saw that in the cinema. Yeah. 2000, I think, that
0: came I mean, out. How yeah. exciting
3: would have that been? Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I reckon...
0: No, they downloaded Mew and Mewtwo Yep. And once you had those two characters in your game, you're invincible. That's it. You were just—it it yeah. didn't matter if your Pokemon was ill matched with another one, uh, you know, that that shouldn't have been strong against a, a psychic powered Pokemon. You were just absolutely wiping the floor with them, and especially once you'd leveled him up as as high as he could go and learnt all the moves and all of that, it was just um, yeah, nice, a ridiculously overpowered Pokemon, but. <laughs> um, Oh,
2: well, we'll wait and see. We'll see yeah. if if Simon and Casey give it a thumbs up. I might dive back in. But Shield and Sword, it was I enjoyed it, but I didn't. I don't know. There was a few things which, yeah, didn't really encourage me to stick around. So I never actually finished the game. But
0: well, well yeah. I mean, I, I'm absolutely uh, going to be keen to see what what you guys think about it, since you're so. So pretty uh, keen, you're, you're big mega fans of the series, and uh, <laughs> you know I think if um, if a game can come out and impress the people that are real mega fans of it, then you know the rest of us are probably going to look at it and go, oh yeah,
1: that's uh, that's pretty half that's half decent, you know.
2: So Simon and Casey, I think you... it's a
1: funny one as well. Sorry, mate. Here you go.
2: That's sorry, right. I was just going to say, you guys going to be pre-ordering it? This is you that excited about it or?
1: i usually will pre-order something just on the basis to make sure that i get a copy of it um but i mean it's not out of excitement for it i think i want to see a bit more gameplay before i kind of make a decision as to whether or not i'm going to get really hyped about it um and i was i was going to touch on as well i think it's um it's funny because you you want a series to grow with you you know like you you kind of want uh, for me, like because I've grown up with it, and like all of us, we've kind of all grown up with it, you sort of want it to evolve with you, and it's taken a really time for it to make an evolution. So, I'm, you know, which is kind of funny for a series which is all about evolving your Pokemon. And it feels like that um, to actually get an evolution in gameplay has been a long time coming. So, for that alone, I'm excited. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Well, I think uh, if we can move on from Pokemon. And hand over to Casey uh, with her thoughts about the new Kirby demo.
3: Hmm. Uh, my um my thoughts aren't as long as Simon's about Pokemon because we've only just started playing it. But, yeah, we've never really been huge Kirby c- crazies, really. Everything's disappointed us in the past with Kirby pretty much. <laughs> on. The- Bar one game. <laughs> Which one?
1: Kirby Planet Robobot, love that I haven't
3: played that, so it <laughs> doesn't matter. Was that a Switch um, title? But, yeah. Song? No, that was no, a, it's it's a 3DS. 3DS. Right. Yeah. I Nah. Yeah, I think um, I missed, missed that. But, boat. yeah. Yeah. So, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, it's coming out on the 25th of this month. And, yeah, the demo just came out for it the other day. And we played it in one night. Didn't take very long it's so good <laughs> that's my it's my professional review it's um it's just amazing it's a three it's the first 3d Kirby game that they've come out with and um yeah it's just absolutely visually stunning um the mechanics are really smooth you can there's so many different abilities and the fact that didn't even show it in the demo but they mentioned it afterwards is um you can upgrade those abilities as well, which is you know, for such a simple game. It's really exciting. And just the boss that they only gave us one boss or two bosses and they were just so fun and not just not repetitive. Like you would normally see in a Nintendo game. And yeah, I'm just really excited. I played it with my son, Noah, and he um, <laughs> has been asking me to play it every day since I'm like, mate, it's just a demo. It's so boring. I don't want to play it a third time. So yeah, well, we're really excited.
1: If
0: it makes you feel any better, Casey, I, I played through the demo to Kirby Star Allies with my daughter, Georgia, uh, so mm. many times, so many times.
1: Mm. <laughs> she
0: it was a, an absolute nut for it, absolutely loved it.
3: Something about, it's something about Kirby, the kids just, I think it's just, and the funny, we were talking about it when we were playing, all the bad guys are so cute. There's not no one's scary in the game Well, not that we've oh the monkey was pretty scary but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, all the sort of just the bad guys that you come across are just all really adorable and cute, but yeah, it's um it, what I like as well is the sucking um ability that we you know you suck up bad guys and you shoot them out again.
0: Yeah, sure. The, the, he has the this signature new one Kirby that we move. Call- Pardon, it's the signature Kirby move, you know. The ability to his only
3: move, (laughs) yeah, yeah, to suck. Um, Yeah, you can like (laughs) suck up like cars now, and you can turn into a car, or you suck up a vending machine and you can shoot like soda cans out, and you can turn into a sucking a cone and be a big cone that you can like drill into the ground. And that's just, you know, the beginning of it. And the different terrains that are going to come out of this as well, like you know, it's going to be water, swimming, and sand, and yeah, just so really if the, excited.
0: If they've got Kirby sucking on cones now, are, are we looking at a, an R18 uh, rating on this one? Are we? Are we heading into? Uh, are, we, are we heading into I would Cyberpunk only let 2077?
3: Play the demo. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go, go full full game. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, you know, I just I just think back to the discussion we had last week. You know, all about uh, you know cyberpunk and all of the the various uh, things going on there. And uh, wow, it's uh, interesting that Nintendo are, are embracing gone
3: full yeah. R rated.
1: Yeah, wow. Well, That's... Kirby does have the munchies all the time, so <laughs> you know right. it's only inevitable that we find out why in this game. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's an origin story. Fair <laughs> the
1: origins of. In the munchies. So yeah, to me, it's, it's
3: just a great, it's a great sorry, yeah, here you go.
0: I was just gonna say to me, Kirby always worked really well as a 2D platformer. I mean, um mm-hmm. there's certain games that I feel just really work well in that in that 2D format. Like another one that just immediately pops into mind. It's not a platformer, but Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat to me was always great in the 2D plane, and then when they released they released a Mortal Kombat, I can't remember whether it was Mortal Kombat 8 or 7 or something, but they went to a 3D model and it was terrible. It was just the worst thing ever. Yeah. Um, And then when they brought out Mortal Kombat X on, I think it was PlayStation 3 and and maybe Xbox One um, when that was out, uh, they went back to the 2D model and it was amazing again. It had a new life. It was just awesome. Do we think that, Kirby going from a 2D to a 3D format is is going to improve the game or do we feel like that maybe might hurt it?
3: Oh, I think it's the way forward <laughs> for Kirby. I don't think it can really go back to 2D at this stage because it's it's kind of like it was made to be 3D in a way. It's, I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it, how good it is. Yeah,
1: it's funny because, um, I mean, there is a, a plethora of great... 2d platformers to play on the switch and i mean nintendo churns them out because they're so good at it but i think it's just it's a logical next step like casey was saying it kind of feels like it was always meant to be in 3d i think um
3: oh there's been so many kirby games that just churned out in 2d side scrolling that's just it's not 2d Yeah, two D. Oh my God, I'm so tired. (laughs) No, yeah. um, How many D? In my head, I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, just we played some pretty pathetic games like Kirby and the Rainbow Paintbrush, which was just I I don't even know what that was. Yuck! (laughs) It was yucky. So what was what was that title on?
0: Was that another 3DS? Game. Oh, uh, no, that was on the Wii, Wii U. U. Oh. Um,
3: yeah. oh, but I've never okay. been a big Kirby fan, really. I've never, it doesn't, it has never, he's never interested me, this people. I forgot to say, we ever. don't mention
0: the Wii U on this podcast. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding.
1: am <laughs> <laughs> back into your basement. <laughs> I
0: was
2: just going to say, Casey, I saw the demo and it looked pretty cool. Is I was getting Mario yeah. Odyssey type vibes. Is it like an open yeah. world sort of 3D game or is it more like level based? sort of linear but with 3d aspects
3: yeah yeah so it's more linear with 3d aspects on it so not open world but yeah i yeah, cool. can't expect too much cool. from going from pretty uh pretty basic side scrolling to this it's just um yeah
1: I, I... kind of art style wise it reminds me of um Odyssey yeah. as well but mm. play style wise it reminds me more of super mario 3d world so um, the camera is a little bit more fixed. It's not a free camera, so it's isometric. And, um, you know, there is a linear path to follow through the level. But the way that it takes you there and the fun little things you can do on the way and there's little hidden things here and there. Oh, yeah, I'm excited really cool. to see
3: what the full game is going to be because I feel like that was such a small snapshot of what what it is. Mm. Well, I hope so. The fact <laughs> that, you know, in the, when once you finish the demo, they um, give you a little coupon code to... I can't remember what that was for.
1: Oh, it's for the little unlockables. At unlockables the start of for the game when you get the full
3: game yeah. and yeah, it told you all about how you can upgrade all of those abilities and stuff, which I think is a real step up for them, not just, you know, just suck in that ability and you just get the sword and all of that. It's actually you can actually make yourself stronger. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of thought put into it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, excellent. And just to just to reiterate, I know you did mention it earlier, but when can we expect uh Kirby to hit the shelves?
3: on the uh, 25th of this month of March
0: 2022. couple of weeks. Mm. Oh, well, that's mm. uh, something to look forward to. A bit of, <laughs> bit of Easter gaming for you there.
3: Yeah, that's right. Oh,
0: All <laughs> right. right okay. Okay. okay, thanks, Simon. Thanks for making our audience feel uncomfortable <laughs> along with everyone else. Oh, that's what I like to do. All right, well... Uh, just moving on from from the Kirby talk, and I'd like to uh, throw the mic over to Ferg, who wants to have a little discussion about the state of unfinished games being released. So, um, yeah, maybe you'd like to like to lead off, Ferg. Yeah, for sure. I
2: think after last week, I think we we're talking about Cyberpunk, and we we're talking about Battlefield, and talking about some of the issues those you know big games had on launch, and I thought yeah it might be a good one we had some pretty passionate responses out of the DG crew so I thought yeah why not we'll spend a bit more time talking about that stuff so um, I've got a list to just kick things off so these are some games that have been launched in the last I don't know couple years or games that I've played at least Um, just to remind people of some of the games that have come out which have either been broken or unfinished or unplayable at launch so we've got Battle 2042 which we talked about last week um there's actually if you go, I don't know if you guys have been following it, but there's a petition to get refunds which is just it's closing in on two two hundred and fifty thousand signatures. Um Cyberpunk twenty seven seven is another one. The PC launch wasn't too bad, but obviously it was so bad on consoles that it got pulled from Sony PlayStation store. Last year, I think it was we had the Grand Theft Auto trilogy, which again oh, was no. taken from the Rockstore game because of the amount of issues that we had. A few years before obviously Battlefield 4 was a train wreck um, Fallout 76 which is another game I played close to launch was in a horrible state when it released we had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 uh, I don't know if anyone played that but that was a disaster um, when they re-released the Halo Chief collection basically the multiplayer was unplayable we had Batman Arkham Knight on PC which again that was another one that got pulled from the Steam because it was so horrible um and another one I didn't play but I thought it was probably the funniest in the list was I don't know if you guys saw I think it was one of the WWE 2K20 games. No. And it was just <clears> like <throat> you have people were having hard crashes in the menus. So it was just it oh. was it was probably a, <laughs> oh, not, my not a great list so there's a whole thing. you know
0: you've got big problems when the when the menu screen won't <laughs> yeah. even allow you to to move through. Yeah,
2: wow. So, so there's some it's obviously not all the games but some games that have come out of recent from big developers oh. and big companies that have been, like I said, either broken or unfinished. So, I don't
3: know. I mean,
2: why, I'll, I'll kick it off. I mean, why do we think this is happening? I suppose there's some, obviously, rush development cycles happening in some of these games um, where pu- publishers are obviously pushing to release games by a certain date um, and they're unfinished. Um, you know, I find it hard to believe that anyone who's passionate about video games that are working on these things would be happy with how these games have been released, so I think the publishers are probably putting on a lot of the pressure to get games out. Um, obviously, we've had COVID for a couple of year, a couple of years, which obviously hasn't been ideal with a lot of people working from home, and um, you know that makes things tricky. And I think probably what the biggest problem is is we've got this "fix it later" mentality when it comes to releasing video games. Um, like we said last last week, once upon a time, once the game was out, that was it. So back in the day of cartridges and CDs on PlayStations, once you released a game, you know, if it was broken, it was broken. Whereas these days, I think there's this attitude that, you know, they're sort of happy to release games knowing they're broken and think, well, we'll release it how it is and we'll just fix it later.
0: Um, so let me ask you, how would you feel if you went to a restaurant for a nice meal and the chefs there behind the the counter happily preparing your meal he gets halfway through cooking it and then the owner of the restaurant says we have to get this out because we can't afford to have th- these people sitting around our restaurant while we've got other people lining up waiting to come in so they come out and they, they put a half-cooked meal on your table the chicken's raw it, it it's cold it looks awful so you sit there. Give me PTSD,
1: mate. You might,
0: you might have a couple of bites and go, Oh, look, this, this is just too much. I can't deal with this. So you complain. And then the chef comes out and goes, don't worry, I'll patch it. And he pour, pours a bit of sauce, tomato sauce over the top. There you go. That's, that's fixed now, you know, makes it slightly more palatable, but the overall experience is still a largely negative one. I mean, it. you have to liken it to something like that. Surely like, what
2: do yeah. you guys think?
0: That's a great analogy, a great, JB. Yeah. Great analogy, JB. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I suppose the segue is well, as gamers, what can we do to, I don't know, say we're drawing a line in the sand and, you know, we're not going to put up with this anymore? And I suppose the big one is we, um, we stop pre ordering games.
0: We... Well, I mean, that, that is always an option. But you, you mentioned Battlefield 2042. Now, you look at that, the the developer was DICE Mm -hmm. and it was published by EA, Electronic Arts. Now, arguably one of the biggest video game companies in the world, up there with Ubisoft, Activision, all all the the real big players. So, you would imagine that they're pretty well financed, these these games that that are being developed by them. And so, I mean, obviously throwing huge sums of money at these games doesn't mean that they get released in a, a state that makes them unbroken or enjoyable to play. I mean, look what just happened with Call of Duty Vanguard. What a stinker that has turned out to be. They're now running promotions at the local supermarket, so trying to get people in, you know, so you get a oh, a possibility of winning a free copy of the game when you buy a packet of Doritos or, you know, something like that. It's, <laughs> it's um, I mean, you, you look at that and you go, this is just so sad. And then you've got, you know, developers, little indie developers that are putting out stuff that's that's absolute gold who maybe aren't getting the, the sort of recognition that they deserve and aren't getting, you know, the same level of sales for the amount of effort that they've put in to generate a really great game. Um,
1: so, I think that's really well said. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the way that, you know, the industry is, unfortunately, but... Uh, like Ferg said, is the, is the answer that we vote with our wallets, and we just don't pre-order these titles anymore? We wait until they launch, so we can see whether we're dealing with a with a hit or a lemon. Mm. I think uh, you make a really good point, yeah. J- JB,
2: um, about smaller developers. So, you know, a lot of people making games and releasing them on you know a platform like Steam will release a game in early access. And you'll pay, you know, you're not going to pay 90 bucks for it. You might pay 30 bucks or 20 bucks or 40 bucks. But from the get go, you know that you're buying something which is in an unfinished state, which has still been developed. And over time, the game changes and things happen. And um, I think, you know, ideally, looking at a game like Battle 2042 and how it came out, I think they would have had far less backlash if they've had a very similar approach. Now, I don't know if I'm talking crazy, but. If they said, look, we're releasing the game, it's not 100% finished, therefore you can expect some issues, but this is what we're going to be doing in the next month or the month after or in three months' time to fix it. And therefore, when you part with your cash, you sort of know what you're in for. And I think that's probably the biggest problem. You get marketing of these games for sort of 12 months in advance, they're hyping them up, this is the best game yeah. we've ever made, this is for the you know the OG Battlefield fans, then the sort of the releases, the sorry, the reviews come out, and for Battle 20, um, 2042, IGN gave it an 8 out of 10, and PC Gamer gave oh, it like yuck. an 80. And it's sort of like, what are they reviewing? So you see that, and then you've got a bit more confidence that, all right, the game's probably not too bad, and then you spend your 90 bucks and you get a turd, essentially.
0: You, you sort of wonder these reviews that companies like IGN put out, and yeah, you know, it's it, this isn't us um, piling on IGN. I mean, mm. I, I go to them for a lot of gaming news and and find them to be be very good. Um, but you know, are some of these reviews that are putting out just a what they would cons- they would call in the industry a review in progress, where they get given a game ahead of time, maybe they've got you know one or two levels to play through, but not the full game. And so, what we're really seeing a review of is. A very small portion of the final finished product, you know I mean, is that what's going on? What do you think, Simon?
1: I, I feel like that I, I mean I think that would be a really dangerous thing for these companies to do. I mean, if you look at let's let's take, for example, what happened with Philip newson right? So he joined uh, IGN some years ago now. And he blatantly plagiarized a review because he hadn't played any of the games that he was reviewing. And it happened for a number of games he was reviewing. I feel like it would be really dangerous for IGN as a company now or any company in that kind of tenure of um, media for the video game industry to just go and blatantly play like a portion of a game and not be transparent about the fact that that's what they're basing their review off. I mean, there has been times where I've seen somebody review a game and say, hey, like, this is me having played X amount of hours in it, haven't quite finished it yet, but this is what I feel about the game at this point. That transparency is really, I think, vital to us as consumers to know what somebody else's opinion is based on. Um, But my biggest problem is, and, and like what Ferg was saying, and I think Ferg's idea of that structure of releasing the game, being more transparent about the fact, hey, this is not yet a finished product. We're going to be releasing it maybe ahead of schedule, like it's delayed till this date until we actually do the launch of it, but we're going to be releasing it ahead of schedule. Anybody that wants to maybe pick it up at this point, at the point that it's being playable now, we will have, I don't know, a closed beta or an open beta for anyone that pre-orders, things like that and and run the game for a while and then if you're enjoying it and you pick it up when it launches, Sweet, But I feel like it is becoming far too easy now for companies to just go, you know, and I mean, this isn't a dev problem either. I think, pardon me. I think it's um, really easy for people to go, oh, you know, developers didn't finish the game. These poor people are working so hard on getting an experience out for us that they hope that we enjoy. Like they put their blood, sweat and tears and heart and soul into this. Not dissimilar to that that chef analogy. You work extremely hard to put something on a plate um, and then when somebody basically walks into the room and says, is that finished yet? And it's not. And then they get you know upset with you about it and just take it out anyway. That's got to cut deep. And I mean, it's happened so much um, in the industry lately that I think that it's becoming a huge problem. But I don't know if there is a necessary... Uh, necessarily a a good fix for it because if you stop pre-ordering games and don't get them on launch day like fair enough Um, but there is always going to be a portion of the market that goes i'm just going to buy this and see what it's like because i like this franchise that's what i'm like with sonic so i know that a lot of sonic games that come out especially recently are going to be trash or and not finished because sega just wants to release these games Or um, I'm going to be playing a sort of a subpar experience because it's been rushed. Um, And that even happened with the re-release of Sonic Colors. Um, It was taken care of by Blind Squirrel Games and that kind of got out of hand. It was a really, really sad experience. And I mean, the, the Switch version for that, people were experiencing seizures i mean i, I got it on the ps4 and i took it back a week later i was just done yeah, yeah it was like game breaking bugs that were causing people seizures and i just think to myself like what? yeah it was like flashing lights and stuff people were playing this game and going into like they were having epileptic fits okay, because wow. um the game was just completely unfinished and things light textures were flashing it's a real problem and i just don't know what the actual solution is and it's frustrating as a consumer because you never know what you're going to get anymore.
2: Um, you're right. It is a tricky one. I can't remember what the number was last week, JB, but how many people bought Cyberpunk on launch? It was like 14 million, just under 14 uh, I, million.
0: Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact number <clears throat> but it was it was ridiculous. Like, uh even though the game was just fundamentally broken, um CD Projekt Red made their money back and more. Like, there was no no real disincentive for them as a company to have not to not do that thing again in the future i mean they did open up the option for people to get refunds on the game after they had so many complaints and um i'm sure probably a few people took them up on that offer but i mean yeah i don't know i mean on the other side of the coin you've also got games that aren't fundamentally broken as such but like i'm thinking specifically of um the, the recent release of Grand Theft Auto the trilogy, the definitive edition, where they released remastered versions of uh, Vice City, Grand Theft Auto three and San Andreas. And, you know, they, they threw in all these buzzwords, Oh, we're using, you know, ray tracing and this, that and the other and they really tried to hype it up and the game was an absolute turd, you know, I mean people just absolutely panning it online and i mean in this case it wasn't even rockstar games that that developed this this remaster so rockstar outsourced the development to a, a company called grove street games um it was almost like rockstar couldn't be bothered it was beneath them to remaster their own games so we'll just we'll just you know outsource it to this other company over here and you know release it to the public and and who cares if it's a steaming turd, you know, of a, of a thing? And, and it was. And I think, you know, surely your reputation, a company like Rockstar who have released, you know, Grand Theft Auto V, a game that's still, still to this day, hitting sales charts month in and month out, and it launched yeah. originally on PlayStation 3. Yeah, I had it, it came on out in Xbox 20-
3: 360. It,
0: it came out in 2013, <laughs> and it is still yeah. topping charts to this day. I mean, that in itself is a testament to the game and and to the reputation of Rockstar as a company. Um, I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2, still one of the most amazingly detailed open-world experiences you're ever likely to have. Um, An absolute masterpiece of a game. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find too many people that would say otherwise. But... um, then they go on and do something like this, and you, you just shake your head and wonder what is going through people's heads when they make these decisions. It just doesn't make sense. Shameless money grab, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I agree. 100%. It's inter- just, to, just before we wrap up on that one, it's interesting that <clears throat> Nintendo doesn't seem to have as many issues. Is that correct, Simon, as far as games that are launching? Predominantly on the switch, well, so, no, or is... yeah.
1: Like this is the thing. I think Nintendo, first party wise, um, are really, really good at releasing a, basically a finished product, a product that is tight, um, that is enjoyable. Um, I mean, but Nintendo isn't a perfect company. Well, look, either. we're playing.
3: Pokemon uh, legend. Yeah, I mean that's not necessarily
1: yeah that's that's uh the Pokemon company operating by Nintendo but the Nintendo is not perfect. I mean if you look at say Super Mario 3D All Stars, this is a this is a package which Well, look, to be honest with you, I love it because I have so much nostalgia for 64 and I really enjoyed playing Galaxy in widescreen and with a proper controller and not a Wiimote and a nunchuck. But, I mean, let's go way back, right, to Super Mario All-Stars. Those games were basically NES games remastered for Super Nintendo. Um, They didn't do that for these ones. They kind of just kind of went, here we go, there's the games, enjoy them. you can play them on your switch now um, and it felt it just felt like it was a discount product and I mean um, as fun as it was it was it was discount and I think that uh, you can't kind of say that they're perfect yeah they're way better at uh, doing that kind of thing releasing games in a finished state but that still bugged me to a degree <laughs> like I think they're, they're still not a perfect company mm.
0: interesting one uh, be well I know a lot of people have have uh, blamed the pandemic for a lot of these, these issues. And, Mm. and look, it's not my place to say that the pandemic wasn't the cause of a lot of issues. I mean, you do get the feeling that maybe people lean on that a little bit more than they, they probably should, you know, maybe, maybe it's a a convenient excuse is what I'm saying for, for some of the state of things. But anyway, um, I'm not a game developer. I don't know the, um, uh, what they were up against, but I, I'm sure it's not easy developing a, a video game during a pandemic, but, you know, um, now that we're starting to see the world open up, maybe uh, we'll see the, the quality of the finished products improve slightly. We can only
2: hope.
3: Yeah, well, I hope I can find my see my package from Amazon come one day, but they're the pandemic on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I probably wouldn't hold much, out much, much hope there, uh, Casey. I'm sorry. Mm.
3: All right. Oh. Uh, well, um,
0: I'd like to uh, move on to our last big segment of the the episode, and um, this is uh, a uh, a discussion about video game tropes that we've that we've all seen and we've all experienced over the years that we just hate
3: i hate that i
0: hate it and <laughs> to kick things off i want to take you all back on a journey to the year 1997 we're all sitting in oh, front of a year. front of a tv watching titanic watching Titanic. Well, you you might have been watching that at the cinema at the time. I don't know. But we're back in 1997. You've got your brand new Nintendo 64 plugged into your CRT television. You're sitting there and you're smashing out a bit of Mario 64. And then all of a sudden, a game drops in your lap. Goldeneye 007. uh, Which scored a 96% on Metacritic back in the day, would you believe? What, what a mm. score. And what a title. I mean, Amazing it's one game. of these games that revolutionized, uh, you know, home multiplayer. Uh, you know, you hear so many stories about people gathering a group of friends together and sitting there until the early hours of the morning, you know, just, just smashing out multiplayer games on four-player split-screen mode. However, this game epitomizes one of the worst gaming tropes in my opinion which is you get to a point in a level and in in the case of goldeneye it's the level control and you get to a point and you find out that natalia needs to hack into the satellite system and she says oh james you know i need you to defend me while i'm standing here hacking (laughs) the computer for the next five minutes And so you go from an empty room to enemies just pouring in from every doorway, every orifice in the room, and you're just standing there trying to gun down this endless stream of enemies who are all totally ignoring James Bond and just gunning Natalia. Like, everyone's just aiming at her, just smashing her relentlessly um, and, and totally mindless. And you're standing there just trying to be a, be a sponge for all the bullets. You know what?
3: I hate that. I hate it! <laughs> and it's not just Goldeneye
0: that's guilty of this. I don't know if you guys are big fans of the Command & Conquer franchise, but so many times in Command & Conquer, you get to a level and it's like, oh, reinforcements are on their way. But they won't be here for another five minutes. And you get a countdown timer that comes up. Oh, need to hold out till then. And then it's just swarm after swarm of enemy pouring into your poorly protected base from every entrance. You know, just absolutely (laughs) annihilating the living daylights out of you while you're madly trying to build tanks and troops to try and hold them off. It just really grates me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I you think see,
3: no. I um oh sorry, Ferg. I was just gonna say, see, I don't mind I, I hate it too, don't you worry, but there's some games that do it well in sometimes. By thinking of Uncharted where you're in the car, you've got to defend Yeah. I'm thinking of yeah, the new Uncharted. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's you you have to defend the your the person in the car by shooting mm-hmm. people that are trying to kill you. And I don't mind it when it's sort of a moving situation. So yeah, there's a vehicle you're in, and you're having to defend that way. I don't actually mind that, because it kind of you don't. It's not just like a countdown. In you know, like you said, Joel, you're not mm. sort of just waiting for the, the end of this to happen. Mm. But um, yeah, I get you. It's painful. Yeah, I, I say- hate you. I hate you. <laughs> 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 I was gonna say
2: it's a gaming mechanic which is used in Call of Duty over the years, single player especially. For every, you know, how many roofs I've you've stood on while just truckloads of guys are just coming into an area and you're just mowing them down from a rooftop. Mm. While, yeah, someone's doing something silly like hacking into something
0: or it's always hacking a computer or downloading a file or you know <laughs> I'm, I'm you know trying to cut fl- through this. <laughs> This annoying floor grade door. with my laser watch, you know. <laughs> it's it's just I'm
1: downloading something on LineWire. Don't let them get to me.
0: <laughs> it's just the worst. I don't know. Yeah. Ferg, do you do you have a gaming trope that, that you particularly uh, hate?
2: Yeah, the one I was gonna talk today, sort of similar to yours, but I was gonna talk about escort missions.
3: I hate that.
2: And the, the escort <laughs> mission comes with a, an asterisk because similar to what Casey said before, some of them are done really well and some of them are done horribly, like awfully. Uh-huh. And so I think, I know, I've got a good example of a good one, but you know the ones that really grind my gears are if you've ever played pretty much any MMO, um, I'm thinking World of Warcraft specifically, there's heaps of these missions where you have to sort of basically babysit a pretty much brain-dead, useless, defenceless NPC while he runs from one place to the other. And they're always so slow. They always aggro every single enemy in the area. If you run too far ahead of them to sort of make a path, they will, like, turn around and run back the other way. They're so bad, and they're so frustrating. Like, you might play, and the missions might go for, say, 10 minutes, and you might get eight minutes in and fail it, and you have to go back and do the whole thing. That really grinds my gears. You know what I say to that? I
3: hate you. I hate you!
2: <laughs> but but on the flip side, <clears throat> there are some really good ones. And the one I was thinking of is, I think it was Witcher 3 um, side mission. Witcher 3 is one of my favorite games of all time. But what they did with a lot of their quests, and all role-playing games have got you know things like fetch quests and stuff like that. But they had some escort missions, but they were actually engaging. And the one I was thinking of, you, you I think you're walking along the docks and you come... A, this guy who's basically getting roughed up by some thugs and you sort of sit you intervene and help him out and he sort of says all right well you know do you mind i'm a you know a to-do person i don't want to get roughed up before i get to where i'm going and you sort of protect him and i played it the first time and i think i failed because i was off looting something or not paying attention (laughs) but i actually was like well i'm sort of interested enough in this dude's story because he looked a bit shady that i'll you know I'll reload my save and I'll go back and do it. Hmm. And it turned out you should that
0: always follow a shady character. In that's a video it. Game. It's a rule of thumb. <laughs> that's it.
2: <laughs> and I think by the end of it, it turned out he was. I think he was like a drug dealer or something, and he was meeting his supplier, and there was a sort of a bad hmm. fallout, and I ended up. I think I ended up just slaying everyone. But the right. good games with these escort missions, they sort of pull you in by making you curious about the person's story, yeah. and so as you're following him around you're sort of like well like where are we going like what's his what's his story mm. as opposed to just this mind numbing just leading this guy who's completely useless from point a to point b while you're just getting smashed by enemies is um yeah quite frustrating
0: mm-hmm. i yeah i mean escort missions oh, don't even get me started they you know i hate
3: that i hate it
0: um, Simon, do you have a uh, uh, a particular gaming trope that really uh, grinds your gears?
3: Mm,
1: yeah, yeah. This one is kind of on the other end of the escorting. It is when you have to follow someone just the right amount behind them <laughs> to their secret hideout.
3: I hate you. I hate you!
1: Oh my goodness. I hate hate doing this in games i hate kind of like following them just far enough behind and then every now and then they'll turn around they be like what was that <laughs> and they will look around for about i don't know the better part of a minute like <laughs> mm, oh there's someone there and then no, no. you know what i'm going to continue on with my daily routine until you know i just have this feeling someone's watching me and then you're continuously following them but you know you get half a centimetre too close to them. And they're just like, I could see you, man. And then all of a sudden, it's like, do this mission again. It <laughs> sucks. It's never fun. There is never a time where that <laughs> has ever been fun. And there's a this, you know, I love the game studio Sucker Punch. I love Infamous 1, 2, Second Son. And I also love Ghost of Tsushima. That game is like, boom, blow my mind into a million shrapnels. But every one of those games, you're going to follow someone at some point and they're going to turn around and they're going to be like, I see you and <laughs> you're going to go right back to the start and you're going to follow them again. And I just, I can't
3: And it's stand always it. so long.
1: It's always so it's long. so long. You're following them as slow as you can because they're always walking somewhere. None of these guys take cars. They're, they're walking places. They're not riding horses anywhere. You, you are following them at a slow pace. Making sure they
3: don't see you. I hate it. I hate that. I hate it.
1: <laughs> Anybody else have a feeling <laughs> where they they've played that in a, in a game and it makes them want to cry?
2: Yeah. So so many times that one was pretty bad, and I think the GTA series. There's always those car missions when you mm. you're sort of following someone, but you're sort of as you get too close, you just stop in the middle of the road like that wouldn't be half obvious. <laughs> Same with the Assassin's the assassin Creed games. There's heaps of following of them, but what always cracks me up about these games is because they're third person, you sort of hide behind a wall and then you swing the camera around so you can see the person you're following. Like, it just seems a bit odd that you're not... Like, if you're playing first person, you wouldn't be able to see them, but in third person mode, you can sort of just do these weird things like crouch and look around corners and no, I don't know, but I'm with you, Simon. I think they're superhuman abilities. Yeah, yeah, they're a little bit overused and maybe a little bit silly.
0: I think uh, you know, just on a slightly different tangent, but but also related to this, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. There's a mission where you're chasing down Rhino, and he is just powering through the city, just plowing through buildings and everything, and you have to stay within a certain distance from him continuously, or you fail the mission. Equally as bad. It's yeah, annoying. Equally as bad. You know...
3: I hate that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Every Driver game, it's the same thing. Uh, make sure you drive... I
3: thought just... they were never in cars. No, no but I'm... T- <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm talking uh, about... You do you talking no, about. You know, like, in, in Driver, it's like, you know, you've got to follow someone, you are got to make sure that, you know, they don't suspect you, but you're following them and they don't suspect you. It's just like just no like let me go get him let me just do it because this is dumb it's it's okay once it was okay the first time i ever did it i was like oh cool i'm following this guy and they don't know that i'm coming behind them every other time i've played a game where that's been i just want to vomit in my own mouth and then spit it in a shot glass all right
0: Yeah. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe pull back on the uh, the whole vomiting in the shot glass. We'll get letters, Simon. Um, <laughs> you know. we'll, get, we'll get emails. You <laughs> mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you, Casey? What's what's your uh, choice video game trope that you just cannot stand?
3: I, I don't know if you would call this a trope or not, but um, yeah, I think you would. I was I, I was only complaining about this, not only the other day with simon with pokemon it's games that when you're interact when your character doesn't talk but the can com- the game talks for you so for example someone will ask you a question and then all of a sudden it will give you option a or option b of what to say and it's the same thing and there's no point in doing that i hate Do you that know- i hate it does that make any sense yeah okay so for example (laughs) so for example if somebody says like hey do you want to come down to this party and then it comes up on the screen saying you know yeah i'd love to go or you can either say oh yeah let's go tomorrow but you know you choose an option of what you want to say to them but either what you choose it doesn't make any difference it's the same outcome And it's just wasting my life and my time replying with the same outcome. I don't know. It just really frustrated me in Pokemon when they did this the other day because I see it in so many games and there's no point to it because you just mash A to move on. You know what I mean?
0: So it's like giving the illusion of a choice to the player without giving them a choice. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It makes you feel like you're in control when you're not. It's just just a, a stupid way of yeah, the only, I was talking with Simon, the only way that it kind of is okay is, like, for example, in Infamous when your choices of what you respond actually influence the game. Mm. Similar, similar actually influence in on how the end of the game's going to, yeah, how it's going to play out. That is interesting and, and you know... Is it heavy rain when whatever you choose in that?
1: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, and heavy rain as well. Whatever you answer, that's a mess. <laughs> that's a, that's its own issues, but whatever you answer actually influences the way the game actually proceeds. That's interesting. I enjoy that, but it's the mindless, numbing, rubbishy RPGs that when you just you just mash A <laughs> when you go through because you know it's just going to be the same answer. <laughs> yeah.
1: that's where this guy says, do you, I- do you do you want some toast?" And you go, "Yeah, I want it." Or Oh, I don't mind it. <laughs> it's like, what's the point of me getting to interact See, with that? You should
3: have just done mine no, 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 I no, said no, no, mine no, no, very no. confusing. but uh, I get you. Yeah. Do you
1: it get me? You? Yeah. No,
2: we get it. Yeah. I
3: hate you. I hate you.
2: Yeah, just playing a bit of cyberpunk. I've no, it's it's similar, but it's a bit different. When you actually start the game, you get to pick, and you would have done this when you played JB. You pick like a life path, mm. and it sort of determines all these like unique. Um, conversations that you can have with different characters in, in the game. And I think I picked the street kid Or and there's been so many conversations where you basically get <clears throat> a yellow line of dialogue which continues what you need to say to keep the mission going. And then you've got these blue lines which sort of, they're supposed to add a bit more information about the background. But there's been so many sort of conversations where if you do, for example, the street kid dialogue, you talk about it and then when you go back to the main quest it's sort of like they've forgotten everything they've said mm. and it's sort of like you're having a conversation with someone with like short-term memory it's really quite strange so it's sort of like they've gone the effort to put this stuff in but it doesn't really in a lot of cases it's not really coherent yeah
3: it's exactly what joel was saying they're giving you the illusion and the feeling that you're in control and that you're really into the game and that you're you know you have a you have a voice
2: yeah you're, <laughs> it's, you're exactly it's right.
3: it's yeah you know, you you feel like you're really immersed in it, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I, if I click the second option, if I push my stick down and click A for the second option, it's going to be the same answer. So what? Uh, yeah, it just it really irritates me because it wastes my time reading.
0: It might as well <laughs> just be a cutscene between the two characters where you.
3: Oh my god! Yes. Aren't in
0: any sort of control. Um, yeah. But you know, I guess some of these games, if they did that. You, you, Half the game would be a cutscene. There'd be very little.
3: Exactly. And I don't right understand exactly. it? I understand the reasoning behind it, but don't give me two options. Just give me one option to push A. I guess you know, like I think to to that. Yeah, I just I don't mind. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Just, one of the one of
0: the really good <laughs> implementations of of these dialogue options that I saw was in the game Fallout Two, uh, by mm-hmm. Interplay back in the day, and. You know, the game was very heavily based on having dialogue, you know, word-based interactions with with other NPCs. And you could get a perk that was... I think it was called Empathy or something. And basically, if you were having a discussion with someone once you got that perk, it would highlight uh, certain dialogue options in red and say, well, if you say this, you're going to start a fight with that character. But if you say this, one that's highlighted in green... This is like gonna really impress them, and and you know they'll they're more likely to give you what you want, you know. So there was yeah. I think I think it was green was just neutral, blue was like oh yeah this is this is the best thing to say to them, and red was like yep uh, prepare to get your weapon out because uh, this is all going sideways. Um, and and that was great because you knew that there were going to be real world implications of what you were saying to a yep. an NPC in the game, so.
3: See, that's brilliant. That's what it should be for me. Mm. (laughs) I feel like I actually have a voice and I have an influence on the game, not just just mindless crap. Yeah. Wow, that really got to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's about all we've got time for this week on the Discerning Gamer podcast. I'd like to thank my fellow co-hosts, Ferg Hamilton. Thanks, JB. uh, Simon McLaughlin. Thank you, James. I love you. Yum. Love you too, buddy. And thank you very much, Casey McLaughlin.
3: Thanks, Joel.
0: And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, we are discerninggamerpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, uh, drop us a line, let us know what you like, what you hate. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. We are discerninggamerpodcast uh, on Instagram. And discerning gamer, uh, we're discerningpod... On Twitter, because Twitter's different to everything else, and it only lets you use this short little name. So, discerning pod on Twitter. So, drop us a line. Let us know what you like, what you hate, <laughs> and uh, we'll look forward to bringing you more content next week. Thanks very much.